Well, I want to uh, yeah, thank you for being the church and for bringing it into uh, this room today. I want to welcome you if you're uh, worshiping with us online. Uh, thank you so much for being the church. If you're a harvester or um, you're not, um, you are, yeah, so, we're so glad that you could be part of what we're doing. Uh, thanks for those who are here in person. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a, a couple seconds just to, to look around and, and say hello, wave at somebody, uh, say hi to somebody that is around you. Uh, let's take a couple moments to do that. Be reminded we're here as a community together. So do you spend a couple seconds doing that? Uh, you can say hello. Yeah. Uh, for some who haven't been here before, uh, for those who are new, um, or those who haven't been back, been here in a while, those who are here from out of town, um, I think we could all agree that this uh, 2020 has been a really challenging year. It's been a tough year, hasn't it? I mean, it's uh, from the get-go. I mean, and some of it was like we, we'd, we'd hear stuff from across the, the globe. Uh, in Australia, there are these fires that are like wreaking havoc and, and taking over. There are these like locusts in, in Africa that are killing crops um, and uh, I forgot what they were, bees that were coming from Asia somewhere to Seattle, and they were going to kill everything and all that stuff. Um, That was all happening, but it was still, you know, somewhat removed from us. And then we hear maybe something of a cultural and global icon, Kobe Bryant, uh, and his daughter die in a a plane, in a helicopter crash, and and that kind of like uh, wrecked a lot of people because it just felt like, man, you know, this is crazy. It's all years off to a wild start. And then... Uh, we hear about this pandemic that has started somewhere on the other side of the world and it's getting closer and closer and closer and then it hits landfall in uh, Washington state and then it starts spreading throughout our nation and all of a sudden everything goes on shutdown and uh, we don't get to meet together in this way. We're meeting in homes and we're watching worship from, uh, from, our, from our video screens and, and our whole world has been, been flipped. People are losing jobs. People are losing hope. People are losing patience. People are losing relationships and and, and as we begin to adjust to this new normal, hey, maybe we can slowly start reintroducing things, just wear masks and keep your distance from people. As we begin to adjust to kind of life as uh, the leaders and the powers that be are telling us we need to live, all of a sudden, bam, here comes another thing. The, the inequalities and injustices that have been surfaced during COVID, the anger, the economic depression, or all of these things come to a head in this massive uh, this, and racial wars and the, uh, the, the, the racism that's... I mean, it's always been there. It's been there from the beginning, but begins to bubble up, and then it just explodes, and a dam breaks out, and it's just like, just in a crazy place. And all that getting closer and closer to home here in Windermere, obviously, we've got, you know, we've got skin in the fight as the police, the former police who killed George Floyd lives down the road from, from us here at our church, and it's, it's been wild. It's been a wild ride. And so in order to, to, to deal with all of these things, we've been talking about the elephant in the room, that there's this massive elephant. And what we, what we talked about last week is this massive elephant of, of, of racism and injustice and, and beginning to tackle that and beginning to speak on that. And, and uh, as we continue to, to do that, realizing that the church needs to, to stand for what we believe in and to draw this line and, and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to die on this hill, that all men are created equal and that the blood of Jesus shed for everybody. And I, I remember on Thursday night just preparing this uh, for this Sunday's message, and I said to Olivia, I was like, man, my, <laughs> my sermon, I'll be honest, is garbage right now. I don't know. I don't want to preach this. This is just awful. And, uh, and then Thursday night later uh, in the evening, late at night, um, about midnight, um, I got a call to go over to um, Wings of Winter Garden, which is the wing shop that our beloved James and Casey Yeh own. And there, um, yeah, just to, to hear the news that our dear brother James had been called home to be with the Lord. 
And if things couldn't get harder, um, they just did in a matter of, of moments uh, for, for all of us. And uh, I remember being there in the, in the parking lot of Wings of Winter Garden when all this is happening and the paramedics are there. Um, once they came and said, you know, there's, there's no more that can be done, probably most likely heart failure, uh, shock, numbness, um, grief, sadness, flooding emotions. Um, I remember talking with one of our other leaders, Eugene Kwok, and he said, you know, DL, are you going to talk about this when we gather together on Sunday? I said, I'm not sure. I'm not, even, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to think at this point. But as I, uh, that, you know, night became morning, and uh, I, I went home about maybe 8, eight o'clock, and I just, for the first time, sat alone with my thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a flood within my heart just released, and I just, yeah, I couldn't hold it together, not that I was trying to. Um, but I just began... Uh, weeping and wailing. Olivia had, had gone over to Casey's home and my, my, my two girls were watching Top Chef in the living room and they came running in and they said, oh no, daddy, what's happening? And, and, uh, and I, I was texting with someone yesterday. He's a pastor, a friend of mine, uh, who, who had reached out and asked what was going, <clears throat> if everything was all right. And, and I told him that story. I just told him I was weeping. I think I scared my, my girls. And he said, you know what? I think it's okay for young girls to see their dad weeping and grieving and mourning over the loss of someone that they loved. In fact, I think it's a good thing. And I want to let you know that it's a, a good thing for us to be able to, to do that. And if that happens together, that's awesome. If it happens, you know, where you are, then that's awesome also. But as I thought about this, I, I realized that James was not only a husband to Casey and a father to Timothy and Jonathan, a devoted cousin, father figure to, to his cousins, um, Sarah, Paul, and, and Biggie. But for many of us, many of you were taught Sunday school by him. Many of you served on worship team with him. Many of you have experienced um, his smile, his warmth, his hug, his love, his coffee, his donuts, his wings, his whatever. Almost every one of our missionaries has either stayed at his home, eaten in his home, or eaten at his restaurant. Uh, this building in which we worship, the seed money for this building was given by his family after James's younger brother, Pastor Kenny, uh, went home to be with the Lord. The fingerprints of James's life and the echoes of his life are all over this congregation, whether you know it or not. And so when we talk about the elephant in the room, there's a time for me to be prophetic and to speak into the issues of our society and our culture, but there's a time for me to be, be pastoral and to talk about the elephant in our room here. And I think that for today, um, to suspend things outside and to really deal with what's going on in our hearts, I think is the most appropriate and honoring thing to do. When I would be on mission trips with James, there would be times where I would be preaching that night, scheduled to preach, or asked to preach, um, hey, can you preach here? So sometimes I'd say, to, I'd say hey, James, um, if you were to preach tonight, if someone asked you to preach tonight, what would you preach on? 
and he would laugh and he would say, DL, that's not my job. That's your job. <laughs> my job, I'll, be, I'll run sound or I'll lift things for you. I'll carry your Bible, but I, uh, that's your job. You figure that out. So I was thinking about this Sunday. So I was thinking about today. Uh, I kind of did that exercise in my own mind. We don't talk to people who have gone on to be with the Lord, but I just imagined the conversation. I said, James, uh, what would you say if you could stand in front of your family, your church, your people that you gave everything for? Right, what would you say? And I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I, I had some thoughts that came to me, and so I want to share uh, the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. Initially, the words written by another saint on the eve of his passing and entrance into glory as he was writing to the people that he loved, to the beloved son disciple in the faith that he loved, and to the church that he was pastoring. Um, these are the words. And so my aim today is it, I'm not going to try to explain why or anything like that. That's not my part. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things be belong to the Lord. There are certain things that we're just not meant to know. But what I want to do is actually something a lot simpler. Every life, every life tells a story. Every life has a, a message, and how we live uh, will echo into eternity. The way that you're living right now, the way that I'm living right now, if we were to be called home to be with the Lord, our story, our life would have a story that would be encapsulated in words, in paragraphs, in pictures, whatever it might be. But today, as we look into the Word of God, I just want to share what would be the message, one of many, that our beloved James would share with us if we could hear uh, what he would say. What encouragement would he give to us? This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. Um, this is the Apostle Paul sentenced to be executed to death. Probably feels in his mind the cold edge of the sword that was to behead him as he awaits his execution for preaching the gospel to the people of Rome. But as he speaks, he says, here's my deal. I'm already being poured out. My life... It, this drink offering is what would happen at the end of sacrifices, to say that the sacrifice is done, you would pour out a drink offering on the altar of sacrifice, to say that my life is, I've given all that I am. And what Paul is saying is, I've given everything, and the time has come for my departure. Time's come for me to go the ways of the forefathers. And this language of departure for those who've traveled, I know it's been a while, but for those who've traveled, it's as if Paul is waiting for his airplane that is headed home to heaven. And he's saying, the time for my departure has come. I've got my ticket in hand. I know where I'm going and who I'm going to see. I have a friend named Jesus waiting there for me. 
he has given something that no one else could give. He gave his life in payment so that I might live, and I'm waiting to get on the plane home. As he does, I think about um, the life of our friend James, his life poured out as a drink offering. And he's ridden the plane home to glory. What would he say to us as he sees us? And I know that he, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how heaven works. I don't know how these things work. But I know that in, in our hearts, there's a lot of brokenness and grief, a lot of mourning and, and, and tears. And perhaps these are some things that through the word of God, James might say to us. Here's the first thing. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Here's the first thing that I think we need to hear is keep on fighting the worthy fight. Harvest, Casey, Timothy, Jonathan, my family, my friends. You don't know that a fight is worthy until you get to the end of it. He's saying, I've been to the end. Keep on fighting the good fight. Keep on fighting. And literally the word good is the word worthy. Right? Some fights are worthy. Some fights are not. Some wars you go into are worthy. Some wars are not. We have questions about, oh, should we have gone into Iraq? Should we have gone into Afghanistan? Should we have gone into Vietnam? Should we have gone into Korea? You don't know those things oftentimes until the end. What is a fight that's worthy? He says, there's a fight that's worthy. And I fought the good fight. And maybe some of you wonder if it's worth it to keep on fighting the fight that's worthy of your life. There are casualties, there's pain, there's difficulty, but there's a goal, there's a reward. And maybe some of you don't see that right now, but I could hear, I could hear James with just so much love and passion and compassion and, and care saying, don't give up from fighting. There's a fight that's worthy and there's a lot that's not. What are you fighting for with your life? What are you giving your blood, toil, sweat, energy, life to? What are you giving your life to? Because some of us, here's what we're fighting for. We're fighting for a name to become somebody in the TikTok world. Is that a worthy fight that you're fighting? Is it worth it for us to give all of our lives to that? Some of us are working and working and working so that we can find pleasure in this life. At the end of it all, is it worth it for you to fight for those things? Some of you are fighting and fighting and fighting, and the good fight is to have the most money and the most toys and the best vehicles and the best accessories that people can have. Is that a worthy fight in your mind? When you get to the end of your life, don't waste your life. Some of you are living for the applause of people, for people to like what you do or like what you say or to like that dance or to like your, your, your reputation or, or to be so crazy and, 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 and being a partier that everybody thinks you're all that. Is that worth fighting for? There's a better reason to live. There's a better fight to fight. And as I talk to people in these last couple of days and, and they talk about James, they talk about how, you know, and this is not just here. This is from afar. They talk about how much he loved his church. He loved his family and his family and his church. These were his two families, and he gave everything to it, everything to it. Poured out day by day. We timed the first one in for Alpha service before anyone gets in with his coffee and donuts in hand ready to man the soundboard in order that we would be able to worship the Lord God. 
he fought the fight that was worthy. I think about, you know, I've had a lot of friends who are in ministry come and, and, and go from visiting Orlando for whatever reason. Some of them have stayed at, at James and Casey's home. And one of the things that I do just for fun with my pastor friends is, you know, you play fantasy sports, like fantasy football, fantasy basketball, where you, like, pick players to be on your team. I know this is a, a, for, for ladies. You're like, what the heck? That's, like, so dumb. But um, guys do this kind of stuff. We were doing this, and sometimes, like, my friends and I would say, let's have a fantasy um, pastor draft. Like, let's, here's, you got a lead pastor, you got a, a teaching pastor, you got a preaching pastor, you got a counseling pastor, you got a, a utility pastor. And so we just, like, draft. Okay, here's who I want on my team. I got Tim Keller. No, you, you can't draft Tim Keller. I got, I got, you know, John Piper, whomever it is. We draft people. But whatever they go to, um, let's, let's pick lay people. Yeah, they always say, I want... James and Casey, to build my church. I say, you can't take that. That's not fair. You cannot have them. But they see the love, and they see the commitment, and they see the devotion, and they see that for him, this was a fight worthy of giving himself to. I remember being in, in house church back in the day when we probably had maybe like five or six house churches. We were talking about spiritual gifts in that in that in that particular day, what gift do you have? And, and, and James said something to the effect of, you know, I, looking through the list, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts really. I'm not really good at, I'm not really good at, at, at many things. And we're all like, nah, that's not true, that's not true. And, but one of the things that he did, and, and, and the Bible says if anyone serves, right, let him serve with all of his heart. He said, here's, here's what James does with all of his heart. Like, here's his gift. He can serve. He doesn't want people to see him, people to know him, people to recognize him, but he serves. And, and sometimes people see the things that he does, and they are wowed by how he loves. And I remember in that meeting, he said, you know what, DL? I love our church so much. And I, and I think at the time, Eugene Kwok was the house church shepherd, and, and, and the both of these guys said, we will do anything. We'll give anything. We'll give anything for our church, and we'll do anything for our church, whatever it takes for us to be the church that God wants us to be. You know, as a pastor, that means everything. For people who will say, whatever it takes, any day, any time, anything, I'll give my life for the sake of the gospel through this church and its spread. We'd be on, on mission trips, and um, whenever we'd go to Ecuador, um, James and I would, would room together after a long day. I mean, you know how it is on mission trips. We would lay down on our beds, and we would it'd almost be like little boys. We'd be talking about the girls that we liked, and James would talk about Casey, and he would talk about his boys, and I would talk about Olive, and I'd talk about our kids, and, and we'd just have conversations, and um, it wouldn't last long because I'd be talking about something, asking him a question about child raising or things like that, looking at my phone and, and talking about this and that thing that somebody had done, and then uh, I'll hear James start snoring. <laughs> and uh, I'll be like, oh, and I'll just like stop talking. And I'll lay down on my bed and, and just look up at the, at the ceiling. And, and usually about a minute later, James would wake himself up and he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, DL, were you talking? Were you saying something? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, did I fall asleep? I'm like, nah, dude, you're good, man. Yeah, 
just get some rest and, and go to bed. But I'd look up at the ceiling and I would just be so thankful that he was a man who just gave everything every day, everything for the sake of the kingdom, everything for the sake of the church, everything for the sake of the spread of the gospel, and that he would go to bed tired. And I would lay down looking up at the ceiling, hearing some of the younger guys from other rooms and just thanking God so much that these young men of our church could see somebody like James, could do life with somebody like James. And there are stories that you ask guys like Kenny Cook and Daniel Kwok and Alex Pack as, as uh, in the rain in Ecuador with, with, with mud all over, carrying uh, tree trunks on both shoulders, taking them from one side to the other in order to build a goat pen. And, and when these young guys would get tired and they would take breaks, uh, they would sit down to get some water and they would just see uh, James just marching back and forth back and forth, and they would say, dang, we got to go, we got to go, we got to help, we got to help, we got to keep on going. And they saw in him someone who said, this is what I'm going to fight for, this is what I'm going to give my heart to, this is what I give myself to, this is a fight that is worthy of my investment. See, all of us are living for something, all of us are fighting for something, all of us are giving our energy to something. What is the thing that you're giving your life to? Maybe some point we, we gave our lives to fighting for the good fight, of the faith for the church, for the mission field, for people that you don't, who don't know Christ, for people that you love, but in recent times, you've begun to, to grow weary. You've begun to, to wonder if it's worth it. You begin to wonder, is it worth it to engage in this fight? I'm getting beat up, and, and, you, and you're wondering, maybe now is a good time to slow down, that you would hear the echo in eternity of our brother James. Say, guys, keep on fighting the worthy fight. It's worth it to do it. You don't know it's worth it until you get to the end, but look, I'm there. I've seen it. I see it. And I promise you that it's worthy. Keep on fighting the good fight. That's the first thing. The second thing we see in verse 7 says, I have finished the race. Second thing that I feel like we need to hear today is keep on running the race until the very end end. Earlier this year, one of my um, spiritual mothers went home to be with the Lord. She was a prayer warrior uh, in Illinois. Um, yeah, she always told me that she's praying for me whenever I saw her. Um, she was, I, no one really knows how old she was when she passed, 60, maybe 70 years old, uh, white hair, frail, 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 because she fasted more meals and prayed than she ate meals. She just completely surrendered to the kingdom. And at her funeral service, at her memorial service, her pastor Min Chung was giving a message and, and, and basically the theme of the message was she always said in, in Korean, she said, Gukkajika. Gukkajika, run until the very end. Until the very end. Keep on running for Jesus. Until the very end, people of God, don't give up. Don't stop running for him. Is running a race hard? I tell you, starting a race is easy. But finishing the race is hard. My kids love watching American Ninja Warrior. They love watching, like, all the obstacles. You, gotta, you don't know, it's like this adult obstacle course. You got these like ropes you got to swing over. If you don't swing right, you'll fall into the water. You got to climb these like walls. 
you got to jump over things. you got to, like, avoid these things that are coming at you. And, and everyone sets out in that American Ninja Warrior in order to finish so they can hit the buzzer and smoke goes off and alarms go off and you finish the race. But there's a great many people who enter into that race who end up falling into the water. They stumble or they can't make it, and, and the crowd is shocked. Like they've got their hands on their head. They're like, oh, my gosh, because it's easy to start a race. but it's not easy to finish it. One of the things I love about Harvest is that we're this intergenerational congregation where we've got young people and, 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 and then we've got people who are older and I, I love hearing from Josiah saying like, hey, you know, we have a, a Christian artigas went to a retreat and he's committed to reading the Bible and, he, and, and a year later he's still reading the Bible. I love hearing about that. I love hearing about these young middle schoolers going to change the world or these high schoolers who are starting these things, initiatives in their school and in their youth ministries and man, that just like, gets me so encouraged and it makes me want to run harder and faster so that there can be trails that I leave for those who come behind me. And as excited as I get about hearing of those who come behind, I think that's awesome. But oh, what I would give in order that 20 years later, they're still running with that same conviction in that same direction walking with, running for Jesus 30 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, when their black hair or their yellow hair or their brown hair now becomes white or it's gone, when they no longer look the way that they did and that youthful passion has given way, that there would be faithfulness until the very end. And we have seen what it looks like to run until the end. In this life, there will be obstacles, there will be challenges. And as, you know, as I, I think about James, I think about how many people probably see like they've been to his home and they've ate steak at his house or they've had meetings at his house and, and they see that this is a home that's open to people to come to be hospitable and, and for missionaries to stay here and for pastors to come and stay here and, and they see that and they eat at Wings of Winter Garden. They see that it's always busy any day, any time of the day, it's always packed and, and they see, wow, you know what, they're doing such uh, great business. But the race has not always been easy. Like, you know this. You know that no race is always easy. But I, you know, I always think about when, how, how James and Casey talk about when they got married, their wedding, but, you know, we talk about wedding budgets. Oh, I got $10,000, $20,000, $25,000, parents helping me, $30,000, whatever your wedding budget is. Like, they began life together as a married couple with a wedding budget of $1,000, $1,000. But they said, we're going to live our lives together for the glory of God. That's what life is about. That's what marriage is about. It's Christ, the church, and doing more together that we could do alone. I mean, you hear, you get asked them and they'll tell you weddings, the stories of how Casey's wedding dress, size 13 wedding dress that she didn't even buy, it was just left over from a dry cleaner, had to get hemmed down so that she could wear that on the most exciting day of her life, but during that day, it was just so full of, and I wasn't there, I didn't know them, but it was so full of worship. They said there was such a, a heaviness of the presence of God within that place, and they knew that this is the way our lives are going to be lived, 
God's blessing meets us at the beginning and it's going to carry all the way through. I remember getting the phone call that July day, 2010, when James found out from Korea that his brother had been in an accident and had passed away, his younger brother that he loved. And then his, his father had been, been bedridden and because of a, of a stroke. And what we don't often see is how every Sunday morning James would, and, and his cousin David would go or Paul would go and they would go to where his father was and, and put him uh, from, a, uh, from a bed into, the, into the, 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 the van and into the van, into the uh, wheelchair to bring him in so that he could worship with the Korean congregation, and then James would come and he would lead worship for us. Nobody knows. No one sees these things. They don't see that there are obstacles in the journey, and then to see his father go home to be with the Lord, to see his wife come down with cancer. This is not an easy race that was run, but we see each Sunday just a faithfulness and a smile and a joy that permeates out of him. Since this is the race that I've been called to run, and oftentimes I've, I'd ask him on mission trips, I was like, hey, you know, is this, did you ever get angry at God when you think, you know, this is right after his, his brother passed away, did you ever get angry? Did you ever wonder, did you ever question? And he's like, you know, it's hard sometimes, but how can I not trust? I'm going to keep on going, I'm going to keep on trusting because God has been so good, he's been so faithful to me. Until the end, until the end, he now joins this cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about as we run this race. You know, I know some of us get tired. We get tired. I get weary. You get weary. And, and sometimes we wonder, you know, there's no watering hole anywhere near. Can we just take a break? Man, I hear, I hear the voice of James calling out to us, calling to his family, calling to me, calling to you. Say, guys, keep on going. Keep on running. It gets better and better. It gets better and better. Keep on running until the very end that we would do that also. I have finished the race. And then the last thing it says here, it says, I have kept the faith. The last thing that maybe I would hear James whispering into my ear and whispering to us is keep keeping the faith. Keep keeping the faith. You know, the, the, faith is not something that, you know, Jesus said, it's not about how big you, you have faith. It's like a tiny thing, like a mustard seed. It'll be something that you would overlook. You wouldn't see it. You wouldn't see a, a little mustard seed because faith is actually a really shy virtue. It's not drawing attention to itself. It's not the kind of thing, guys, look at me. I've got this amazing faith. It's not that. It's, guys, look at this. I've got faith in one who is amazing. Having great big faith in a tiny, tiny God is no good, but having even the smallest amount of faith in a great big God will change your life. When I think about, man, what it means to worship the Lord, I remember conversations that I had with people in our church. Like, we've had some many great worship leaders throughout our time. We have many great worship leaders here. Yeah, but sometimes, like, and, and this would come as a shock to his family, but there are people who say, yeah, my favorite worship leader um, is James. 
And they will always have to preface it by saying, hey, he, didn't ha he does not have the best voice, or he's not the most musically gifted. But I just see his heart to worship God, and I just experience God's presence in that place. And I think what makes James such a wonderful worship leader is because no matter the circumstance or situation, his eyes were looking upwards to the one that he was worshiping and was not driven by what was going on in his life. I don't think I can ever forget one worship set that he was leading, and I don't remember if it was at his brother's funeral or the Sunday after that, but I remember he was leading through a song that he loved and he often led, and we sang it this morning. The bridge says, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. You see the measure of a man or a woman not when things are going great, but when things are difficult. Like that's when you see the true character and the true personhood and the true faith of a man or woman. And I remember like just looking at him as he sings, you give and take away. And as he was strumming his guitar with his eyes closed and a smile on his face, there was such a deep sense of, of peace and a deep undertow of joy that nothing could take away from him because his gaze was fixed on Jesus. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Not my heart feels like saying this. Not my heart is drawn to say this, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And every challenge and every hardship and every assail, assailing that came to his faith, it's just like his heart would choose to see and say, Lord, blessed be your name. A faith that is of worth more than gold because it's been forged in the fire. A faith in God, a God and a gospel that's bigger than life and bigger than death. And as we pick up the pieces of our broken hearts and as we pick up our tears and walk out, I can hear James say, guys, keep keeping the faith. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing. Don't stop walking. Don't stop fighting. Keep on going in faith. The one who's shown himself will ever be faithful. The God who met them in their $1,000 wedding and began to bless them and to bless them and every blessing he poured out, they didn't keep it for themselves, but they turned back and opened up their hands and allowed us to be the beneficiaries and opened the doors to the kingdom for so many people through their love and their hospitality. Weary pastors staying at their home, finding life. Weary missionaries wondering what is life all about. My friends who've come from different places coming and seeing a family like them, they say, wow, this gives me hope for what the church could be. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise him because God had been so supremely faithful in James's life. I just feel like he could never get over that. And so he said, I'm going to be faithful to the God who has been faithful to me. And he says the same thing to you, and he says the same thing to me. Keep keeping the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He says, Paul says, guys, every one of us is going to one day stand before a judge. Hebrews 9.27 says, every one of us is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Who will be that judge? The Lord, the righteous judge. What kind of a judge? He's not a lenient judge. He's not a merciful judge. That's not what he says. He's not a gracious judge, a loving judge, a corrupt judge, a bri- able to be bribed judge. He's a righteous judge. That means he is right, he's perfect, and everything he does is in line with the character of God, which is for righteousness and purity and absolute holiness. But wait, wait, wait. The reward is what? It's a crown. What kind of a crown will the righteous judge? Maybe there's a loophole here. Maybe the, the, the crown will be a crown of, of, of starting the race or of participation or, or a crown that says, you know what, I came to church or I serve God. What is it? Let's see, a crown of righteousness. Here's the judge that every single one of us are going to stand before. An absolutely perfect judge in all of his dealings. He sees everything that we've done, and he will judge all of that according to perfect righteousness. And the reward will be a crown of that same righteousness. In, order who can, in other words, who can get this crown? It's only those who have been perfectly righteous who have been deemed perfectly righteous by the perfectly righteous judge. Well, gee, then who can stand in that place? What hope is there for any of us? What hope does heaven hold if there's a perfect judge, a righteous judge, and a crown of righteousness for those who've lived the life of perfect righteousness. Well, there's hope in the form of good news. It tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, here's how you can be righteous. Those of us who've done wrong, those of us who've failed, those of us who've quit running, those of us who are fighting the wrong fight, those of us who have lost the faith, there is a way for us to be righteous. How? Says there's faith in Jesus Christ. What does faith in Jesus Christ mean? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How? Because there was another who was perfectly righteous. He's the one who ran this race perfectly until the very end. He ran until he said, it is finished. He fought the good fight not against the powers of this world, but this, uh, not against flesh and blood, 
but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, against demons, against darkness, against Satan, against death, against sin. And he conquered, winning the good fight, and he kept his faith all the way until the end. It was Jesus who knew no sin, who became sin because all of our failure, all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness was blasted upon the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, and he became unrighteous and seen as sinful and took the punishment for all of our sins so that those of us who failed, those who are flawed, those who are sinful, those who have strayed, those who have messed up, those who have quit the race, could be seen as perfectly righteous because in this great exchange, Jesus gave us the reward that he deserved, the crown of righteousness, as he took upon himself the punishment that we deserved for our desertion of the Son of God. How do you know? How do you know that you know this Jesus? Can I tell you? Here's what he says. He says, uh, this crown of righteousness is waiting, this award for me, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long to see Jesus, whom you've only heard of? Do you long to see him with your eyes? Because if you were trapped in a burning building and an unknown fireman went in and burned his body for you to rescue you from the flames and gave you life, When you recovered and got out of the hospital, would your eyes not long to look upon the one who saved you from the fire? If you were dying of various tumors and somebody said they they need every organ replaced and someone said, I will give my organs for them, my life for theirs, and they gave their organs to you so that you might live, would you not long to see the one who gave you life, snatching out your life from the snares of death. And when your life, stricken by sin, covered in brokenness, headed for hell, was saved from the fires and given new life, the cancers and the tumors removed from your body so that you might live, do your eyes not want to lock gaze with the one who gave his life in order that you might have life and have it in abundance? Because for our brother James, that faith, that has become sight now. The one who longed for his appearing now stands in glory with Jesus. And the voice and the echo of his life that reverberates throughout eternity and that is spoken into our hearing, what would it say? Say, Harvest, I know you're hurting. I know it's hard. I know you don't know if you've got the strength to go on. For Casey, for Jonathan, for Timothy, for cousins, for those who've been left behind, I know that it's hard. But just hear what I say in light of what I see. Keep on fighting the good fight. Keep on running till the very end. And keep on keeping the faith. Got one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. As we uh, take a
a minute to pray as we respond to the word of God today. As we think about a life, a beautiful life, a singular life. that has impacted so many for the glory of God. Uh, Let's pray a couple things. One, let's thank God uh, for the life of James Ye, a brother, a friend, a shepherd, child of God, beloved, devoted husband, doting father, lover of so many beloved by so many. Let's thank God to remember his life, his legacy, his story, and his message. Let's give thanks to God. Second, let's pray for, let's pray for his family. Let's pray for dear Casey, dear Timothy, and dear Jonathan, for his mother who remain here. Let's pray that they would know other family members for those who grieve and mourn his church. Let's pray especially for his family that it would not be each morning we wake up another day to carry this burden, but that we would know that each day is one day closer to seeing Jesus and being reunited with a man that we love so much. And then thirdly, let's pray for ourselves. Father, in light of what I've heard, in light of what I've seen in James, Lord, help me to live. Help me to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help me to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Let's pray for maybe 30 seconds for each of these things, more or less depending on as your heart is moved, but let's pray as we respond to the word of God. And I'll pray for us and we'll respond with a song. Father in heaven, thank you that during this leg of the race, we were able to run. Long 
alongside of Brother James. Many people may have given up had it not been for him cheering and encouraging, championing others to keep running. Many in foreign lands and distant nations were able to enter into the race because of his giving, because of his teaching, because of his going, because of his testimony, because of his love for missionaries who thought that maybe this was my last go around, but they went back into the field because they experienced love and grace through James and Casey and their family. Thank you that we got to run with him for this stretch of the journey, and now as he finishes his race, we can hear him calling out to keep on going, to keep on running. Lord, we run for no man or woman but Christ alone, but inspired by the faithful as they encourage the weary, their lives a stirring testament and testimony to the power of a life well lived, blazing trails of the gospel so that we might walk and run behind them. Father, thank you that this is our blessed lot and privilege. Pray that you would help us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We pray. We pray for Casey and Timothy and Jonathan. We pray for James's mother. Pray for Sarah and for Paul and for Biggie. Pray for all those whose hearts are broken. Lord, may we be able to be in that place knowing that you meet the brokenhearted right where they are. Lord, bring your Holy Spirit to meet us in power, in healing, in comfort, in grace. May your church be God with skin on for such a time to comfort the weary and also to live as witnesses in this world. Pray that our lives would always carry within us that heartbeat of our brother James to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.